0: Coffee, Cows and Crops is produced by the Peace Country Beef and Forage Association and hosted by Extension Coordinator Johanna Murray. On this podcast, we discuss management practices and research results with scientists, ranchers, researchers and farmers. We strive to share innovative information and farming practices supported by sound science and practical wisdom. So grab a cup of coffee and let's get learning. Hey there, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Coffee, Cows, and Crops. In today's episode, we'll be chatting with Tom Kravitz and wrapping up our conversation from last week. Or last episode, I should say. Now today we'll be chatting about what success looks like for Tom on his operation, as well as management techniques and such that he has learned over the years. But to start us off, Tom, I know you've used a lot of different methods of management over the years you've tried a lot of different stuff so what are your metrics for evaluating whether or not to integrate new practices onto your farm or onto your ranch how do you evaluate those new ideas or new practices that come along
1: Uh, mainly if something isn't working you know like the multi-species grazing No, no, that's, I don't like that word because um, a lot of people, a lot of people are using that word, but they're not, to me, it's not really multi-species grazing. They are just grazing different animals in different groups. To me, multi-species grazing is the mob where you have all those animals together. And the reason I did that was because our labor was ridiculous. You know, we had hogs over here, we had sheep over here, we had turkeys, and we had cattle, and it's just like all day long. It was just steady uh, work all the time, and I just like this is not working. So I just said, okay, let's put them together, and that's how it happened. And I thought, oh, it actually, works pretty good together. And then, you know, the more that I've done it, what it does to for the soil uh, is miraculous, and you know, I, I know a lot of people that I tell a couple of these stories to, they get a blank stare over their their eyes because, you know, like there was one time I had that the mob, but with the cows, the horses, the sheep, and the hogs, and there was a paddock that, um, geez, it wasn't, there was a lot of Kentucky bluegrass and uh, creeping red fescue. It, was, it had been overgrazed for many years, actually, by the sheep. And anyways, it wasn't doing anything. And I just thought, mm. and we were all, already at 35 days of recovery. So I knew that grass wasn't going to, to grow anymore. It was, it was just going to get old. So like I said, there wasn't much, much there. And I thought, well, I got to do something. Because if, if I do nothing, I know what's going to happen. It's just going to be old grass. So I moved the mob in. And I don't remember if they were there for a full day or just a half a day. Uh, But anyways, for a short period of time. And then I carried on. And I don't know, it was about a week later. I was riding my horse. And I I looked over. Like There's this square of all this green grass. And I said, I don't remember that being there before. And a couple of days go by. And so I go over there. So this is like tops, eight days, nine days later. I go over there, that grass was 12 to 18 inches high. And not just that, there was all kinds of species of grass. Like it was a thick sward of grass. How the hell did that happen? How did that happen? And I've seen this sort of thing when you have these different animals come together and, and graze all together. It just it just amazes me, but it does not work when you do a leader follower. For some reason, it doesn't work, and I relate it back to what's going on right now in farming with the polyculture. Okay, uh, you know the I'm hearing about all these. Well, actually, I've seen it too. These amazing things that are happening happening when you have a polyculture. Uh, like this friend of mine at uh, Stetler does um, swath grazing with a polyculture joanna it is unbelievable what what he has like the the production not just the production but the quality it's phenomenal absolutely phenomenal
0: yeah i know producers up here that are mixing their entire feed ration in the seed box
1: oh cool it's it's amazing so why aren't we thinking that way with livestock Mm -hmm. we're not
0: yeah, somebody was talking to me here a couple of months ago and they were like, cows are a monoculture.
1: Cows are a monoculture. Sheep are a monoculture. Yeah. Darn right. And it's so easy. Like once you, create a, once you learn how to create a herd, they are so easy to handle. You know, just so it's one person. It's just, there's nothing to it. It's uh, one person. Now, like it, it does take some skill to get them trained. But once you get them trained, well, a 12 year old can go and move them. And I, I'm not kidding. You know, I remember, well, Heather and Tiffany that would come out and stay, you know, I talk about them in the book that's actually inspired, you know, ranching like a 12 year old. They did all that stuff themselves. You know, at that time we had bells. So they just rang a bell and, well, everything followed them. You know, so it's very, uh, I'm not being facetious when I say a 12 year old can do it. Now, maybe a 12 year old can't train them because it, it takes a lot of skill to do that. But once you get there, 12-year-old can certainly do And I mean, that's the, I think that's the biggest complaint for farmers and ranchers is it's too much work. And I think a lot of people, they retire, not because they want to retire, because it's too much work. You know, like kind of just talking to, to different people and, and, you know, hearing this and that. It seems to me that a couple, can run about 150 cows. Okay, traditionally, they can run 150 cows traditionally, and a couple can run about 350 ewes. Traditionally, you know where you're tagging, uh, tagging at birth, you're giving uh, needles and this sort of thing. But when you change things and make it simple, you don't have to retire. I know this couple um, up at in the valley. View area. I shouldn't. I know. Say I know them. Um, I know of them, and it was actually their story that inspired me to to start bale grazing the way that I bale graze. Well, they're well into their seventies, and they cattle. You know, six to eight hundred cows. I don't know them intimately, so you know, I'm just I'm hearing from friends that know them. Uh, so I'm just this is third hand, but that's pretty impressive, you know. You know, and I have my, um, my old friend, Jim. Uh, so Jim's 78 this year. He's running more cows, well, more than twice as many cows now at 78 than he did when he was 40. And he's enjoying it more. And in fact, right now he's in Panama because he hates the winter. So he just has things set up uh, where he bale grazes. He has uh, all these little paddocks and he gets his grandkids to go and open a gate once a week. There you go. There you go. <laughs> so, anyways, it's that thinking. Um, I don't know how where we started here to get here, but, uh, anyways, <laughs> carry on. Ask me another question or something.
0: All right. Uh, I guess building off of that. <clears throat> Uh, you alluded to how a significant amount of your philosophy on keeping things simple and on all of that management stuff was based on your teenage workers early on. Um, mm-hmm. And I hear a lot of people talk about the lack of labor and the lack of skilled labor in agriculture. So I was really interested to see your chapter on managing employees and, and that sort of stuff. Um, so can you talk a little bit about your approach to kind of hiring and training people to work on your ranch?
1: Actually, no, that's proprietary information. (laughs) I'm kidding. Uh, Anyways, okay. So, you know what? This actually came from my rigging days. Okay. Um, And I talk about that in the book, I think. I was fortunate when I started on the rigs to have a fantastic driller and a fantastic uh, tool push rig manager. And the rig manager, Duane, He taught us to train the person below you to do your job so that you can learn the job uh, above you. And so everybody was trained that way. You know, you're instilled. That was part of our job is to train the person below us. And it creates continuity so that if somebody, you know, well, in the case of uh, Rick Hillier, I talk about him in the book, General Rick Hillier, Uh, I talk about him in the book as well. In his case, well, maybe somebody gets killed on the battlefield or, you know, or injured or something, there's someone else to step in. That is trained. So that's part of my philosophy, you know, and uh, kind of my own little twist on that is I have this uh, method. It's called tell me, show me, watch me. And it's just basically what it says. You know, first you tell the person that you're training, you tell them, explain to them uh, what needs to be done, the why why it needs to be done. And then uh, you show them how you do it. And then finally you watch. And watching is not standing there telling them how to do it. Watching them is keeping your mouth shut, encouraging them, and, yeah, just making sure that they are competent at what they do. So often it, it, it just seems like it's very easy to give direction all the time. Like, you know, every little minuscule direction well people don't learn how to think and i really developed or not developed i, I really came up with that that line of thinking when i was uh, drilling because you know these guys would come to the rig you know they're early to mid-20s but you know i had some guys that were you know in their 30s come to the rig and invariably they did not learn how to think for themselves. And that was the hardest thing for me, was to, to teach people to think for themselves, because I want that. It makes my job much easier and much more enjoyable. And then we can have a, a much better conversation as well, because I'm getting input. Uh, you know Everybody brings something to the table. You know They have different experiences than me. And when you have people who actually think for themselves, then they're able to say, hey, well, you know, maybe we could try it this way. You know, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's a, a difficult thing to get people trained to think for themselves. And I'm, my way of doing that, part of my, the way of doing that is not giving them an answers, asking them questions. Well, what do you think? You know, so someone comes to you, you know, um, and says, well, how are we going to do this? Before explaining them how, you know, to them how to do it, ask the question, well, what do you think? And then giving them the opportunity, you know, to consider all the you know, consequences if they do if we do it this way, and that sort of thing. But, but I do it. At, it's an active. It's an active process. It's not something that I just. It's not haphazard. So yeah, and what I have found with um, with young people is there's a lot of fantastic young people that they want to be engaged. And they're hard workers, but they're not going to stand for being treated like a, a mushroom. They're not going to stand for it. Like I, I stood for it. Like there's so many times that I think, what the hell am I staying in this job? I get treated like shit, and I'm still here. And young people aren't standing for that. You know, it's just thinking about this scenario here. Uh, A couple of days ago, a friend of mine told me about a guy that, uh, well-established guy. He's just having a heck of a time with interns. He can't find a good intern and has gone through a lot. I better be careful how I say this. It is my belief and my experience that if you go someplace and there's a, a big turnover of employees, it comes from the top. And if you are the top, you better start looking in the mirror and do not be looking down at the people that you're hiring. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Now, I'm not a master at hiring, but one thing I do do is um, I do hire on uh, enthusiasm. And the other thing that I do now is, and it's just where I am am in my life, I do not hire interns anymore. Uh, Because like as an example, when we were custom grazing, I would hire uh, a summer student and and I actually paid them well, but they were not really useful to me until you know the beginning of August, when I had one more one month left with them. And just where I'm at right now, I'm not there anymore. I want somebody like uh, you know I talk about Zeta, in the book uh, my apprentice, my first official apprentice. Well, she came with a, a lot of skills, and she's just fantastic. Uh, like. She was an anomaly, you know. For you know, I think I had just about 50 resumes. She was the only qualified applicant for what I was looking for that, that had that skill level that I was looking for because I didn't want to start, start at the bottom. I wanted to, and that's just where I'm at in, in my life right now. Uh, so I'm looking for Zeta. And then I had Zeke too, which is a freaking amazing guy, you know. So I've been very fortunate. And I tell you what, when you have two people, when you work with two people like Zeke and Zeta, the things that you can get accomplished, unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable. I'll just give you an example, just the, the three of us. We put in 14 kilometers of pipeline and tied it in. We fed thousands of cattle in the spring and calved those, those Zeke calved out 1,100, the tagging and all that stuff. And... Then we put in, I don't know how many miles of fence, uh, but I bet you 30, 30 miles of electric fence all in one season. Just the three of that yeah, it was amazing. And there are a lot, there's people out there like that. There are people out there like that that are engaged, that are competent. Mm-hmm. And again, it, it's my belief that if you're going through a lot of people, start looking in the mirror. Being employer is a skill that you have to learn. You know, like um, when I started drilling, well, I had to learn those skills how to be uh, a leader. Go and figure them out. You can't just sit in the coffee shop and whine about mm-hmm. how crappy the, the new generations um, Get out and, and read a book like uh, that book by Dr. Rick, or General Rick Hillier, uh, Leadership. Well, that is an inspiring book for me to read. And it just really opened my eyes and actually inspired that uh, that method of training that I have.
0: Awesome. So before we sign off, of course, uh, we should mention where people can find your book or more info about you or any of that sort of stuff that we talked about today.
1: Yes, Johanna, thank you. I'm going to give go off on a little tangent here, um, just about my book, very specific to my book. Um, so I'm having a little uh issue with my publisher very pleased with the product like what they did and how they put my book together you know the videos you know i i have to learn how to do the videos Um, and maybe i'm not a professional but i would say i'm uh, i'm almost a semi-pro at doing videos anyways with that qr code you know so the video is embedded right in the chapters so you can just go with your phone, click on that QR code, and it'll take you to the video that that chapter references. So that's pretty cool. So I, I, I've done all that work, you know, and and uh, I paid for the editor. I paid I paid the publisher to put my, my book together like that. You know, I'm doing the promotion uh, for my book. So initially I thought, oh, we'll go on Amazon and, you know, and then I'll do a... a audio book and we'll do ebook and then i find out how much uh what percentage all those places take and i said oh let's just back up here so that's when i said okay i just want to sell my book off my uh, web page so publisher was mm, not really on board but i you know i'm paying right so then i find out he went and listed my book with the bookstores. So here's what happened. When someone goes to Barnes & Nobles or to Amazon and buys my book, I make $15. That's what goes in my pocket. When they buy it off my webpage, I make $30. So anyways, I, when I found this out, I had a heated discussion with my publisher about it because I was very clear. That I did not want my book listed with, anyways, and I and I do understand uh, where he's coming from about sell as many books as you can, but my market is is small, so I'm in the niche market. So then I'm after I left him and I'm kind of calming down, I start thinking about well, how am I going to swing this in my benefit, and I realized this is exactly the same as a cow calf producer. let's say someone goes in and sells their calves right off the cow okay that's full commodity they go to the sale barn and the next day you're either bitching about the price you got or you're bragging about the price you got at the coffee shop right but you can make a decision to wean your own calves wean those calves keep them at home background them uh, Precondition them or you know, whatever you want to do, or maybe you want to keep them um, and develop some um, some breeding heifers. That's your decision. And the other thing that you can do is you can go a call around and um, to feedlots, you know, or whoever is and say, hey, I have these preconditioned calves, they're this weight, you know, and, and here's the videotape. This is what I want for them. Okay, you can negotiate there. But that's your decision. So do you want to be in the niche market? Do you want to do some extra work? Or do you want to be in the commodity business? So I equate this going to my webpage and buying a book. That's like buying direct from the producer. And have you ever taken a Ranch for Profit?
0: I haven't. I've been adjacent to it. I know kind of their principles, but I haven't actually taken the course.
1: Okay. I, I rave about, I, I think in the book, I rave about uh, Ranch for Profit because just, uh, I've learned so much um, from Ranch for Profit and being in the executive link program. Mm-hmm. Very powerful. Uh, but what I got from Ranch for Profit was business principles. It's just business. And it doesn't matter. It's, yeah, okay, it's, it's um, you know, directed to ranchers.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But the principles are, are the same no matter what business you're in. Yep. And had I not taken that course and been an EL, I would have not recognized that there was another way to capture revenue from my book. So I just found mm-hmm. it kind of interesting uh, from a business, um, a business side of things that it's exactly the same as if I was, this was a ranching business and I was producing calves or lambs. So,
0: And people can find it on your website?
1: Yes, simplyranching.ca. Perfect. Yeah, I forgot about that. I need that.
0: <laughs> That's the important part.
1: <laughs> yeah, and would you believe I have a studio booked? I'm going to do my own uh, audio book. I'm only going to sell it. Uh, the audio audiobook from my website because when it goes to aud- audible 80% mm-hmm. so I want to stay in the niche market
0: righty and I'll put the link to your website and all that stuff down in the description of the podcast people can can check it out there
1: cool that'd be that'd be great yeah hey thanks very much I appreciate uh you doing this for me quite enjoyed I know I ramble on a bit but uh <laughs> Uh, I enjoy talking about it, and I'm, there's a lot of uh, young people that are really engaged and they're excited. And I remember being there and just drinking the Kool Aid, you know, from uh, holistic management and you know all these things and the marketing and all this stuff, and then getting getting disillusioned with how much freaking work it is. Yep. And it would have been great to have a mentor that could say, "Okay, yeah, this is all great." but we got to tone it down or you're going to get yourself burnt out. And that's what I hope this book can do for mm-hmm. uh, people that are you know, all gone home. Okay, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Uh, still be excited, but let's figure out how to do it simple and easy. And basically it's asking yourself, everything you do, everything you spend money on, can a 12-year-old do this? And if they can't, change it or stop doing it.
0: I think that's solid advice.
1: Thank you. Good.
0: (laughs) Peace Country Beef and Forage Association is a research and extension group based out of Fairview, Alberta. Our mission is to help producers thrive in an agricultural system that is profitable, regenerative, and attractive to future generations. To learn more about what we do and see the results of our research trials or our archive of newsletters and fact sheets, check out our website at peacecountrybeef.ca. Want to get in touch? Have a burning question or a topic suggestion? Send us a message on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. Thanks for listening!